Welcome to the Sound of Symphony. I'm Magnus Nordlander. And I'm Tobias Nyholm. And uh, this is a special episode for us. This is episode nine. Yes. I believe. And it's been a it's been a bit of a, a difficulty to count because we've been sort of sort of bad at releasing episodes and producing episodes. I believe I believe this is the eleventh time we're actually recording something. Yeah, uh, um, but we but do have some some pretty exciting news uh, this this episode. I yeah, think we, we have a new format of the podcast. Yes, a bit shorter podcast and no retakes. Yeah, I think it's it, we're doing a bit, a little bit of a less production value, but I think it's probably better to have a lower production value podcast with uh, actual episodes coming out <laughs> than a higher production value podcast. Yeah, and we also got two new co-hosts. Yes, indeed, we do. Uh, we've got Ryan Weaver, who's um, has been on the podcast before. Hello, Ryan. Yo, hey guys. And we've got Jared Farish. Who has Hello. not been on the podcast before? No, I haven't. Um, so why don't uh, you guys introduce yourselves, uh, Ryan? Who are you? Yeah, uh, my name is Ryan. I, I was here a while ago, and I'm on the Symphony Core team. So probably a lot of you guys know me. Maybe you've tweeted at me. Um, and and I do not have as cool of a radio voice as Jared. <laughs> Speaking, Speaking of which, <laughs> Jared, why don't you introduce yourself? Uh-oh. Mm. Um, well, I'm Jared. Uh, Jared Farish. I've, I've been a PHP developer for about 10 years. Been on the internet since 95 or 96, 96. And, uh, and I'm just glad to be here. <laughs> cool. Jared, I detect a, a southern accent. Uh, no, not at all. I'm, uh, <laughs> Ever so light. <laughs> no, Jared, um, where, where, where I, do you come from? I live in uh, Dallas, Texas. See, there we go. Yeah, Texas. So great yeah. state so, of Texas. So, yes. Yeah, yeah so I live have in Texas. Texas. I, I, I just, I just really appreciate y'all, y'all letting me be here. <laughs> it's just so much fun. <laughs> so, uh, oh, how, I do how, declare. So, how come got to? How come you guys are joining us in the podcast? I don't know. I was just walking by, and somebody was like, "Hey, man, you want to come in and sit down and like start talking?" And I was like, "I love yep. talking." Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it was actually indeed. Jared's idea. So yeah, Jared Jared came to me in uh, in Symphony Live in San Francisco, and he was like, "Hey man, I love Sound of Symphony," and I was like, "I do too." And he's like, "I wish they did more episodes," and I was like, "I do too," and uh, and then I bothered the guys, and they kind of came up with this new format, and uh, we're like, "Oh, we'll we'll be here and see if we can add anything," um, even though I would just listen to the podcast with with you guys the way it was. I loved it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, we liked it as well, but but the problem is that, uh, well, there's not enough hours in the day really to um, to do everything we want, so uh, hence the new format. But I think this is going to be really good, so uh, hopefully our listeners will enjoy it as well. Yeah, and and if you don't, just tell us on Twitter, and we try to change something. That's true. That's true. Um. Let's get started with the episode. Yes. Magnus. Um, yes, so part of the new format is we basically just choose one topic and we discuss it. And uh, then once we're done discussing it, that's the end of that episode. Um, so the topic that I wanted to discuss today is how has Symphony been keeping up with, um, with the web, really? Uh, because Symphony is almost 10 years old now. Uh, and Symphony 2 is coming up on five years old from, from version 2.0. Um, so it's it's not like it's a spring chicken anymore. Symphony has been around for quite a while. We all know 3.0 is coming up, but 3.0 doesn't, doesn't bring uh, any backwards incompatible changes. So how well has Symphony been able to, to uh, follow, the, to, to go with the times, really? Uh, that is the topic for today. You know, I, I kind of related to this. I found out something about how Symphony was made originally. Um, and that's that Fabian has two kids. And apparently um, one's 10 years old. So I actually asked him, I said, okay, who's actually older, Symphony or your kid? And basically the answer was technically Symphony, <laughs> but basically Symphony exists because of his first child in a sense, his first child keeping him awake all night long. <laughs> and so he had nothing else to do but just kind of program in Symphony. 
So that you know, it's kind of a little backstory. And then Symphony Two, same thing. He had another kid, uh, released another version, and uh, I, you know, Symphony Three is is really it's new territory because it's the first Symphony release that does not involve uh, Fabian having a newborn child. So it's 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 you know, it's a total new area as far as evolution. Symphony Three is is a huge difference because of that. Yeah, that's that's true. That's true. Uh, I don't know if that's what you meant, Magnus, about. No, that's exactly what I meant. I mean, that's uh, <laughs> uh, no, no. I was I was thinking more more along the lines of of Symphony Two, Symphony Symphony Three brings a lot of changes, but all of those changes are basically available in Two Point Eight as well. Uh, so what Symphony Three brings to the table is really removing removing um, some deprecated things. Um, one of the major changes that I know of in the PHP community while Symphony was alive was that everybody moved to Git. Yes, that's two, true. It was just in 2010 Symphony said, hey, let's start using Git instead of SVN. Yeah, Symphony used to be a subversion based project. I, I recall the old track website integrating uh, yeah. subversion and the ticketing there. Yeah, uh, that was when track was, was very cool. Yeah, and we also used to have uh, plugins were all in the, on on the Symphony subversion server usually. Um, plugins doing what? Plugins for Symphony, like uh, the very popular SF Guard plugin. Um, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, sure. And instead SF Doctrine. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, but instead of instead of everyone having their own subversion server, it used to be hosted on the the Symphony subversion server. Uh, but I can I can honestly say that I'm definitely not missing subversion. Yeah, okay. No. They, they they was doing like WordPress is still doing. If you create a WordPress plugin, they host it on the WordPress subversion servers. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. That's it's, that's actually impressive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but impressive for the wrong reasons though. <laughs> <laughs> Fabian uh, at the last conference he asked who was using subversion in the crowd still. And these two lonely developers in the middle of the room raised their hands and, and Fabian just kind of glared at them for a few seconds before continuing. Um, but one of the changes that I, I was thinking about that has been, uh, that, that has been happening, um, if we're speaking, if we're speaking about PHP specific, if we're speaking about PHP specifically, Composer is one of the the biggest changes that's happened in quite a while, I think. Yeah, naturally. I mean, PHP community or the history of PHP could be divided in pre-composer and post-composer. Yeah, it's uh, it's so 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 such a big event. Yeah, I think that's a milestone right up there with with re the release of PHP five, really. Um, yeah, probably. And I actually got a date. It's about in composer was released in two thousand and eleven. And was about the same time Symphony moved to 2.0. Yeah, uh, Composer actually sprung sort of out of Symphony uh, because we used to have this this uh, crazy uh, depths file, and um, that wasn't fun to maintain because it didn't really do any uh, any dependency tracking. So you had to keep that in mind yourself. So it's really. The, the need for Composer was quite dire, and uh, um, basically I think uh, at least one of the big reasons that Composer was developed was Symphony. So that's uh, quite a feat, I think. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Jordi and Nils was like hinted to create something like that. Um, what do you mean by hinted? Like the someone from the symphony community told them that this is needed to be done and asked Nielsen Jordi to actually make it that may well be i mean i know there there's been there was a lot of talk about this needing to be done i don't know if there, anyone asked them specifically but um uh yes yeah he he, yeah, I think he it, actually I think it was spoke more of a, about more of like a threat <laughs> 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 tell me more what do you mean well, it, it, at the Symphony Live, he was talking about how um, Nils, the the other guy, um, the guy who doesn't get mentioned nearly as often. Yeah, Nils uh, Alderin, I believe. No. Yeah. Is. Okay. Is it? Um, oh, well. I, I I knew Alderman. there was another guy, but uh, unfortunately, I'm sorry, Nils, if you're listening to this, um, I'm not as aware of his name. But uh, 
he, he was he working for Toots Plus or something, and, and and they needed it, so he was trying to create something that that actually had a need, and um, Jordy had looked at it and wanted to do some things for his own projects, and so I I from what I understood about how he described it, it wasn't initially something that they were even going to share. It was just something they were trying to do for themselves, and then it kind of evolved into what they what it's become now um so he's got this you know thing around his neck now that's composer that <laughs> was originally just a like a project <laughs> for himself and for nils to yeah. manage their own dependencies you and, know? and that's what his talk was at at that conference it was just all about like it, it basically his life as mr composer yeah. and uh, <laughs> it's actually it's hilarious talk because he shows all these like hate tweets you know or somebody will out of the blue tweet like composer ruined my life and yeah, he'll just put that up, on, and he's on, like, "I know what you mean." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I do so, love the the attitude that you're supplying this free software to me, therefore I am entitled to some answers now. <laughs> Things right. are not working, and it's your fault. Exactly, you work for exactly free. his point. It was a beautiful talk. It was just like slide after slide. He's like, "Are you kidding me? Cut me a yeah. break." Dance, uh, monkey, dance. Yeah. Well, so, either yeah, that or write write him a check. I mean, I'm sure he'll be happy to to accept it. Uh, that's that's well, that, well, that was a that was another theme that you know he he can't get by just doing free open source software. You know, he no, I mean, he's that's, that's anybody natural. else. You know, he's got to make a living. Yeah. No, that doesn't stop me from teasing him every time I see him about his <laughs> dirty composer money. In, in my imagination, this open source project makes him just millions and millions of dollars. Yeah, I mean, it's and, it's very uh, widely used. Obviously, obviously, that's going to be clearly going to count for something. And also, I mean, he's Zimbabwe done it for the, also obviously he can do it for the publicity because that pays the bills from what I hear. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And and brings along with it no online hate. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, so that's clearly one of the areas where Symphony has been, if not leading the way, at least been closely following the way. <laughs> um, and I think another trend in PHP has been the the componentization that really was enabled by Composer. Yeah, I was yeah. about to say, didn't that go hand in hand with Composer? Yeah. It did. Uh, it t- took us a little while to get the hang of it, I think, though. Yeah, you know, now now that we have the hang of it, all of a sudden you see when, when you pull in one package, it pulls in like fifteen teeny tiny packages, which yeah. which maybe wasn't the case a couple of years ago. No, no, it used to. I know for 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 the longest time, if you wanted any dependency from Zen Framework, it pulled in all of Zen Framework. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> that, that's yeah. how you, that's how you get a good download stats. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, but I believe the. The reason of the success or the spread of Composer is that that you, if you had one project using Composer and that has, had the dependency, the dependency also had to use Composer, so it spread really, really quickly. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. That's a good point. It was, it was like it was like this open source disease, sort of. Yeah, pretty much infecting each other. Yeah. And pretty Jordy much. was the mastermind behind it. Yeah. Well, and that's why it has all of this dirty Composer money. Exactly, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) but there's one aspect I believe Symphony hasn't really caught up with. That is the the front end developers tools. I noticed a lot of uh, pull requests and documentation written in in this very moment about this. But I mean, you don't really do aesthetic anymore. No, uh, to to give a bit of a background, I mean, back when 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 1.0 was released, it was released with uh, aesthetic, uh, which was fine for the time. I mean, people didn't, from what I, I'm not a front-end developer, but from what I remembered about front-end development five years ago, there really was no, no, no was tool chain. I mean, it's, it, we, yeah, we, it, we, it, we it was nothing. We still thought that jQuery was cool. Yeah. So, I mean, Aesthetic was cool for its time, but um, there's been a lot happening in front-end development these last five years. And, oh. And I think, um, that's one of the areas where I think the the um, best practices. Correct me if I'm wrong here, Ryan, but the best practices basically waves its hands and says, uh, "Use whichever front end development toolchain you're most com- comfortable with." 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. We yeah, we 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 like we we set make a diversion and then we just kind of run away. Yeah. <laughs> say just just yeah, whatever you want. Yeah. And Well, so I mean, what what is the best uh situation? You know, obviously well, the best situation. Let me situation get let me get vary, my but, calendar and see which month it is. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, I do do a lot of content. Well, you know, I think that the, 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 this is an interesting, you know, as, as things evolve, you know, we, we build up these constructs that are really complicated and then we end up tearing them down because they're so complicated. And um, we were talking about this in our, in our meeting at, at work this morning where, you know, originally there was, there was CSS soup and people were just hammering stuff. Whenever I got started with HTML CSS, there was no documentation. And um, I mean, this was actually, I was doing stuff before CSS, like, really even was viable before and um, CSS. It, well 96 i had the geocities website uh, how 96. old are you yeah. <laughs> yeah. um i'm 23 <laughs> <laughs> i was a boy genius yeah, oh, sure, um, sure. sorry yeah. i'm 37 i the, the very first time i ever got on the internet we actually broke into the computer lab at the university of houston downtown and uh and i got online and was like looking up bands like that was like the only thing that was like interest at the time but it was just like wow and that was january 2000 uh, 1996 and then uh that th- that fall i went to college and got a uh, geocities website and had no idea what it was and it was just this weird website that i hope doesn't exist anywhere on the ar- <laughs> you know internet archive but um it was a different that time was, you, you, that used, was like, uh, you used yeah. image maps and you used frames to do design oh, yeah. But and there was no documentation outside no, no. of GeoCities, you know. And even if there was, you couldn't have found it. No. So, you know, now, you know, what, 10 years ago, people were barely understanding. Like, that was like Internet 6 had come out and had already died, but nobody knew it. And, you know, um, we were still, people were still trying to understand what quirks mode was, you know. Yeah. And um, there was no articles that really explained it very well. And the people that knew it didn't want to, you know. Um, whenever whenever I got into programming, my dad, who was a programmer um, for um, chemical plants and stuff, he, he would tell me, you know, hey, jam all this nonsense code in there. That way they can never fire you. And I'm just like, who does that? Like, nobody does that anymore. So things change over time. And, you, and it, it, things kind of fit for the epoch that you're in, I guess. And the the, the idea that we've progressed from you know the wild wild west to hey let's kind of do something but nobody really knows what they're doing everybody's kind of doing their own thing to bootstrap you know and now people are tearing down bootstrap and saying you know what people should still do their own thing but they should do it intelligently but the only way you can do it intelligently is to understand what you're doing yeah so i think there's just more there's more room for advanced capabilities there's more companies that are doing it you know at a larger scale but um, I don't think that that necessarily means that anybody's doing it wrong. Um, there's just this topic to jour of, Hey, you know, there's the new thing. It's, you know, like you said, it's November and somebody's come out with a new way of doing it. Well, it's November. How so much obviously that it's react that's, that's in right now, I think. Or is it mustache? Yeah. I, oh, no, react. mustache, mustache <laughs> is out. Mustache is so out. That's so mustache. last year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Obviously it's Fu Manchu by now. Like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be tongue ring next year. Like yeah. You watch. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So th- this is something I thought about a long time, but but I, I I kind of I kind of don't know what the solution is for a framework. You know, Laravel, they have um, Elixir, so they've actually like built something in JavaScript on top of um, Gulp to handle this. You know, but that's a mm. big decision for a framework to take on yeah. that area especially when it's something that's not built in your native language um and and you know as magna said like when things are changing so quickly so we're off on the sidelines doing nothing um which is not necessarily wrong as long as it's clear to people what their options are yes and no symphony be doing something well i mean i do think there's a Hmm. there is an issue with if you're supplying bundles and they may well have some some assets, some asset dependencies, and I mean, you can definitely expose your own assets in in, in your bundles with the, the 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 public directory. 
but still, it's not like you can actually have any any reasonable way of overriding things or uh, uh, have any automated way of getting things built using your bun using using bundles. Isn't that where Pooley comes in? That's yeah. There was a little bit of Pooley in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I don't he think that it. solves the entire problem, though. No, no, no. Can just somebody explain to me part. what Pulley is like succinctly. I, I've tried reading about it, and it's just—it's like, oh, it's like super composer. But how does how does Pulley solve this problem? It solves resource location. So basically, your bundle could say, "I want to have my my CSS file," and Pulley will basically try to find out where the version that is your CSS file is at. So if you've overridden it somehow in your project, you, I think, in theory, should be able to to override it in Pooley as well. So your bundle would be able to get the right file. But I'm not entirely sure on how that would, so would is, work is in practice. So is Pooley something that's like working with Composer, or is it the other way around? Or uh, you, you, yeah, no, it actually works with, uh, with Composer. Yeah. So it's like controlling yeah. Composer. Is that what you? No, I think they're solving I, I, slightly different problems. Yeah, yeah, but okay. th th there's an integration between them, both of them. So okay. so you can tell Composer where the resources are for this package. Okay. So it's, uh, like Mange said, it's, it's it's a way to locate re static resources. And static resources. Yeah, like... Hmm. Basically that anything that's not a yeah. PHP class. Thank you. Because that's what, that's what Composer knows, right? Like, mm, Composer knows okay. where your PHP classes are, but it doesn't, like, know where your template files live. Or so like sort your, of up to the framework to know that. Yeah, or your YAML files with configuration or things like that. I Especially see, okay. if you're using YAML files with, say, say you have a list of phone numbers and you want to have that in your bundle. There's no good way to, to um, uh, w without digging deep into Symfony, there's no really good way to, um, to handle resource location for that without using Pooley. Okay, so this is how it can help you across projects then, is because you can actually say, hey, Pulley, go out there and store like this superset of configurations and, you know, locations and things like that, and then you can access that in different places. Is that the idea? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Okay. As, as but, far as how well, that's I like, understood That's it. like so easy, man. Like, how is that hard? <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it still doesn't solve the issue of if, you, if you're using a bundle and you want to generate your assets with like Gulp. And yeah, you yeah, want it's it a to separate be... issue. Yeah. Yeah. So here, here's what here's what I think, and it, it this is I'm gonna do the same thing the best practices do, and I'm going to run away from the problem. Yeah. But <laughs> you should use aesthetic until and unless you go. Oh, I don't want to use aesthetic because I'd rather use gulp because I know gulp. Then yeah. use gulp. But yeah. if you don't, I mean that the you know one of the things with with development going back to what Jared said, you know things getting more and more complicated. You know, ten years ago probably a back-end developer um, could build a front-end and a back-end to his website. And increasingly, that's not the case, right? Because we just have totally yeah. separate skills. You're going to do all this REST API stuff on the back-end and then this, you know, Angular or React, whatever, on the front-end. And those are just kind of two separate skill sets. So Aesthetic, is, it, yeah. for me, is something that says, hey, we're going to bridge those. So if you are that lone PHP back-end developer and you still want to kind of do some stuff, then, hey, do some stuff. And uh, if you're not, if you're a super trendy Gulp guy, then then use Gulp. Yeah, it, and you know, I think there's an interesting discussion, especially among frameworks, because we have, you know, we've we're in the era of frameworks, which probably means it's about to end, you know. But you know, whenever we look at it, we say, hey, how much of that belongs at the at the server? Like, how much should this you know server be controlling the browser yeah. and what resources it gets? Should the front end be dictating itself? And I, you know, in single-page applications and things like that, there's there's this like very, you know, bright line between the two. But whenever you're, you know, if I'm if I'm developing an application and I'm doing it in Symfony, you know, my my, you know, if 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 uh, the only tool you have is a hammer, then you know every every problem's a nail. Yeah. And you're just going to whack it with the same thing. So you're going to say, okay, I need PHP to solve this problem. But is that really? The more advanced you get, the more you start to notice that hey, I've got this hammer here. And I'm kind of whacking everything with a hammer. Is there a better solution? But I think your 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 point is a really valid point, Ryan. That initially, you know, 
really what people want, and I think this is where Symphony has a problem with perception, is that when people show up, it doesn't tell them what to do. It doesn't say, this is what you do, like right here. Like there isn't a convention for everything. <clears throat> so whenever whenever people look at it, they, th they think, oh, well, it, it's infinitely everything, but that means it's nothing to people that don't have that advanced capability yet. And, you know, so from my point of view, maybe the framework shouldn't have like aesthetic as a component, the, you know, a symphony component, but there should be a, just like you said, uh, uh, Ryan, there should be a, hey, you know what, if you, if, if, if you need a hammer, this is the hammer that works well, just be aware that there's other ways of doing it. You don't have to do it this way. Um, yeah, yeah, I understand the yeah, well point. Um, but then again, we got to talk about the uh, high entrance barriers to you start using Symfony. And that's pretty much, it's a good thing that Aesthetic is enabled by default. So it's easy to get started with. Yeah. And, and, and when, when you are a little bit more confident with Gulp or a more advanced programmer or whatever, then you just remove it and, and make Symfony be everything for your application. Yeah. And, um, uh, and and was enabled by default. Sorry, Symphony two point eight. If you yeah. start a new project, it's not there. Yeah, okay. I wanted to loop back to something that uh, that you Ryan and and, uh, and Jared were, dis were discussing, and that's basically the the uh, API movement or the REST movement. Yes. Uh, how well has Symphony been able to to uh, to cope with the transition to increasingly just be an API. Uh, I, you... I don't think I should answer this. I'm too. I'm too close. I actually want. I want to pretend that was my question and ask you guys. Um, what I do when I create an API, I just strip Symfony about from everything, and I add Fast REST bundle and some Nelm doc bundle, and then some serializer. Then I'm pretty much done. Which, and, which mean, serializer are you using? I'm curious. The uh, core one or JMS? JMS. Okay. If you ask me why, I don't really know. I can All tell you I'm was... using JMS serializer, but I'm not using fast rest bundle. And I, for reasons actually previously discussed on this very podcast, uh, I'm skeptical towards rest. I've become increasingly <laughs> a, 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 a command bus person and command buses and rest don't really match yeah and when you say rest you mean purely restful yes yes and that's what i if i were to using i don't know if this is the only way to use fast rest bundle but if i were to use fast rest bundle i imagine at least that i'm basically exposing all of my entities and uh, anyone can just change their entities without having to supply any sort of intention with a change yeah but um, um and that's mm. not what i like um, so how, how how does command bus compare to that? Like what can you can you elaborate on that a little bit? Um, actually, I'm not gonna do that because that's the that's actually the episode before this, and we have a pretty good explanation there. That episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, I mean, I I I actually came out of that episode wanting to know more about because there was some references to okay, you know, how can you how can you do this with uh, was it the frequent flyer? miles and things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, the, the that that uh yeah. made up example, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um I guess hmm. well we can move on. Yeah, I think uh, <laughs> I think that may at least if it's an interesting topic we'll we'll bring it up again but probably right. in another show. So, uh, you know, so Ryan, please give me your your answer. Yeah, so so from my angle it, it's kind of like what Jared was just saying. Uh, I wonder, there, there's there's so, like, API has to be a first-class citizen. I'm I'm tripping over my words because I'm trying to think of where to start here. Um, and it wasn't. Five years ago, it wasn't, right? We all knew that. Like, people were creating APIs, um, but it wasn't as much of a first-class citizen as it was today. So, you know, going back to, like, for example, the documentation of Symfony, um, which, which is partially my responsibility, most of that was written five years ago. So if you go to the docs today, it's very... Um, like render a twig template centric. Um, and all the API stuff has really grown up over the past few years. But honestly, like me, and I'm really close to what's going on in Symphony community, I don't exactly know what tools to use. 
Like I know there's Nailmail API doc bundle. That's basically you, you like if you're not using that, I, I would you know you should be using that. That's an easy one. Um, but you have the um, Dungless uh, API platform. Um, you have the uh, let's see the resource bundle from Cilius. You have FOS REST bundle. You have the uh, HateOS library um, from William Durand. I mean, there are just basically like so many different options. And sometimes it seems like it's one of those spots where we're not really giving people a clear path. And what I have seen is people will just kind of Google for a bit and they'll end up installing a whole bunch of this stuff and they don't really know what it does and they don't need 90% of the features. Um, maybe they're also getting encouraged to care about things that maybe they shouldn't. Uh, for example, like going overboard with links. You know, they might be like, oh, I have to, you know, get this library and add all these links. Um, but really, they don't need links. You know, they don't need very many links. So it, it feels like an ocean of tools with not a lot of real direction. Yeah. Yeah. My go-to solution is usually to not use any of those tools. <laughs> and to just, I mean, I do use JMS Serializer, for example. Um, but like I said, Fast REST Bundle, I don't use it. Um, the, or yeah. any of those uh, HateOS bundles or uh, or the API platform bundles. I would, I mean, I would not use them. Even if I were to make a, a very, very strictly RESTful API or a uh, HateOS API, uh, I probably would not use them. Because yeah. there's such, is such that a big unwieldy send? beasts to me. Is that a message you're gonna send to your your potential clients and you work yeah. per hour? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because I mean, like I said, it's big unwieldy beasts, and if I and I'm a certified Symphony developer <laughs> at the expert <laughs> level, and if I think it's wieldy and difficult to to uh, to get myself into, imagine what it's gonna be like if they hire somebody else to work on the project. Yeah. That's not going to be a fun situation. Do you use Doctrine? Uh, yes. Yes, I do. Because that's the number one thing that I hear is, you know, I still hey, think Doctrine the, is just this massive thing. I think the barriers to entry with Doctrine is lower, actually. Uh, but that may be because I've been using Doctrine for, for uh, like eight years. Um uh, I, I want to bring us back to the API issue. How would we want Symfony to to cope, or how to approach the API uh, API applications? I do don't want know. Any, do you want any changes, or is, is anything missing? I I would first start with defining what is a good API, and I don't think there's a. a I don't think. Uh, no, there's, I don't. I don't. No I don't know what a good API is, and I don't think that that. Uh, HTTP has any part of it. Um, hmm. A good API is a simple API, is simple to understand and create and maintain. It's and, a read-only APIs. Read-only APIs are fine. Um, and what's a good API for you is not a good API for me because we have well, our application has different needs. So that's that's why it's no D one answer. Yeah, but if we could if we could break down things into smaller pieces, right? Because even if we think of an API, there's like 15 different parts to an API and you're sort of picking and choosing different pieces of it, I think based on your flavor, right? So clearly Magnus's um, URL structures are gonna look different than like a typical REST URL structure, right? So he doesn't need or want any automatic URL generation. So that's kind of like one thing on the menu. Do you want some library? And this is part of what FOS REST bundle does. Do you want some library to automatically generate URLs for you? Personally, I don't, but if you want that, that's there. Then there's something else for cores. Then there's something else for API documentation. There's something else for content negotiation. There's something else for serialization. There's something else for yeah. a view layer. And this is somewhat separated out, but not always, because as we know, FOS REST bundle is really just about five separate independent small tools yeah it's um, everything together. in the kitchen sink i mean yeah exactly so if that were separated into um smaller pieces then it might be a little bit more obvious and then you kind of paves the road to hey you want to build an api um okay well here's kind of like you know you're, you're probably going to go down this road where you need these six tools or you're going to go down that road where you need these five tools and it'll make it a little bit more obvious so for example like right when you use fos rest bundle you'll maybe turn everything on and all of a sudden you're going to be doing content type negotiation and you're also going to be returning uh, JSON and XML 
And you're doing that not because you necessarily need it, because but because everyone says get FOS REST bundle and it gave that to me, so I must need that aspect of my API. Where yeah. in reality, 99% of APIs don't need JSON and XML and maybe don't even need content type negotiation. No, I um, mean, so I, why, if, I, if I'm doing an API, an API which doesn't have any requirements set on it, I'm setting my own requirements. I'm just going to do JSON. That's it. Yeah. And then there's also a difference between if you're doing a public API or a private API. Yeah, that's definitely true. Yeah, so that, yeah, right there, that needs to be probably ironed out too much. You know, it's like in Symphony World, we just, um, we, we like to make things more difficult than they need to be. And sometimes our own pain is, our pain is self-inflicted. And I think, think that the REST API kind of stuff is one of those. Yeah. Uh, should we move on? Uh, let's, I actually have one more, uh, more thing that I thought of in advance. Because because I came up with this topic, I've had plenty of time to think of things. Ooh. Yes, uh, and that is basically with the introduction of of um, um, we, we've all seen seen platforms like Heroku, and that's that's sort of new compared to Symphony. And there's also things like Docker, uh, and both of these platforms have in common that configuration is usually passed down via environment variables. Ah, yes. And Symphony doesn't really handle that all too well because the options you've got in Symphony, all of it basically boils down to your configuration is going to end up in the container and the container is frozen. You can't have d dynamic configuration in your container. And um, even if you're using, I mean, there are some options. You could use um, uh, environment variables starting with Symphony underscore underscore or you could use uh, the um, uh, the parameters. The, what's it called? The thing in Composer. Uh, which, the incentive thing. Yes, the incentive parameter handler, which actually supports um, supports environment variables pretty easily. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's ending up in the dependency injection container and gets and it gets frozen. Uh, so that's one of the areas that I feel that Symphony has not really uh, caught up with, well, kept up with that particular trend. Well, and let me ask a question about that because um, <clears throat> I'm familiar with the problem, but not not deeply familiar. Um, so it, it's not that you can't use Symphony with something like Docker or Heroku, but it's as you said, the container gets frozen. So uh, you know, you hear about things called yeah. like parameter parameterized containers, where basically you have the same one container like think of almost a read-only file system here are all your files including all of the cast files but then you can spin yeah. up different containers based on just different environmental variables and it will work yeah. um how common of a use case is that um not meaning i'm not saying that it isn't but you know there are two ways to use uh, uh is, it, like is it like one the 90 like, hey, i need to build my site yeah yeah if i need to deploy to docker cool i'll do it i'll build my container um, the container gets built from environmental parameters or maybe not. The container gets built, we deploy it to Docker. So I'm not exactly sure what the use case is for the parameterized instances or the containers. I know there is one, but, but can you highlight that? Well, basically, at the time you're building the containers, you don't know, for example, which IP your SQL server is going to have. So hmm. the issue becomes you can't build your container in advance. And, ah, so you would, okay. And in, for example, Heroku, that means that um, you can't really, if you're doing any configuration change, you need to, um, you need to rebuild your, uh, your Symfony application, Slug. And Slug, in this case, is basically the stored, basically you need to redeploy if you're changing any part of configuration. Or there's an, there's an option which David Silka at, um, at Roku suggested, um, and I'm using this in one project. And that is to every time, once you're spinning up a new instance with Roku, and this would work with Docker as well, uh, you, uh, you uh, warm up the container. Uh, yeah. Well, um, this is something I was thinking about recently. You know, they've moved the cache and the log outside and I was thinking, presumably, this was to enable these types of things where you, you, you move all the changeable files out um, so you can then redirect that and have everything else be frozen. 
Um, I don't know if this is actually why it was done that way, but it occurs to me that that's possible. Um, is it, is it useful to have a to have a, con, uh, a config directory there as well in var? That's not going to help you because it's going to be part of the dependency injection container, and it's going to be frozen. So the point is the, inti- the yeah the entire okay. the entire file system is basically frozen. Yeah. Right. Okay. All of your configuration is going to get cached in ah. the dependency injection container and yeah, I not that. refreshed. Um, and okay, I'm not so, sure this is. Know, I mean, t- I'm not sure this is going to be a major issue. It sort of depends on where the world tur- and how the world turns with with things like Docker and Heroku. Um, but if if Docker, for example, is becoming bigger and bigger, that's going to be more and more of an issue. Yeah. Hmm. And I, I, I'll say, because I know, you know the technical challenges behind that, I, I don't think it'll ever happen. I don't yep. think that will ever get fixed. Well, it's I not know. even fixed. It's just it's the nature of it. Like, we build this beautiful, fast-as-hell cache container um and and, you know when you start thinking about the environmental variables you actually can by the way if you if you have a use case yourself for making something that you want to be able to change at runtime you can do that there you can do it with the um what is it the uh, expression language in a sense yes and you can actually kind of inject dynamic values into your services yes um what we need to change for symphony though is like every part of the existing symphony and every bundle you use would have to kind of change over to that system and you get into weird cases where in your config.yml file you change some key from true to false and then at build time it uses that value to maybe add a couple services that are or aren't in the container yeah so right there you have you, you sort of need the value at build time not at runtime um, so, you know, not being an expert on this, my hope is basically that we can fix it, uh, handle it a different way, like you alluded to, um, as far as like uh, the Heroku thing goes, where, you know, you kind of warm the cache as you're building um, the container. Yeah. Um, I, I, I clearly hear you've been either looking into this issue or read the uh, the uh, PR with Fabian and tried to fix this not too, too long ago. Uh, oh, I actually didn't see the PR. No, it, uh, it was a PR, but it never got merged because basically Fabian decided this is not going to be, this isn't going to work. Uh, he he experimented a little to try to fix this, but he did. Uh, he did mention um, at his talk in Symphony Live in San Francisco, and I actually didn't see the PR for this either. But <clears throat> you know, when you warm the cache, it like it warms the cache. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't necessarily warm everything. It might have missed no. a couple of things. Yeah. So there's something for 2.8 where it actually supposedly warms everything and specifically he said for things like Heroku so that you can warm that cache and then put it on a you know read-only disk and, and you're good. Like it will never get written after that. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm, hmm. yeah. yeah. <laughs> so interesting, interesting, interesting stuff, stuff. yes. <laughs> yeah, sure. We'll have, make sure to link to that in the show notes so, we can, so I can read up on it at least. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I just and, need and, to find it again. Exactly. And hopefully he didn't just make that up. <laughs> no, I, I distinctly recall reading that. <laughs> uh, and I mean, it really, like like you said, it's it's solvable for your own problems. And I think reasonably it could be solvable in in like a package like Doctrine. And that's what actually what the the uh, the the PR or issue or something said um, that it's 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 solvable in in uh, in Doctrine bundle, but. Uh, it's not going to be solvable without breaking backwards compatibility hugely. Mm-hmm. So, exactly. Uh, uh, speaking of which, breaking backwards compatibility hugely. Um, I, I have a kind of a direct question to to Ryan. How about PSR seven? Is that ever going to be merged into <laughs> HTTP so, Foundation? Yeah. So PSR seven, the request response interface. No. I can, I, just, I can say that. And it, it, did it sound dramatic? <laughs> yes. A little bit. Yeah. So the, the quick answer to that, and I, I do like when people ask that, no, because the request, the PSR7 request and response, the way they're built, there's just no way to make Symfony's request and response implement those interfaces without breaking back its compatibility, even if you try to do the thing where you deprecate old things. It's just too different. And the key thing is the immutability it's a very hot topic. It's very subjective. I really, really dislike the immutability um, that was added there by um, the lead developer of Zen Framework, um, who is uh, a really, really intelligent guy. So it's not a stupid thing. I just really dislike it. And uh, if they had made PSR7 
mutable, then I think we probably could have implemented it. However, the other thing is that in part because of the immutability of uh, PSR7, it's not, in my opinion, that easy to use. It's a little awkward to use. So it's not necessarily something that we would want the user to have to worry about inside of actually building their code anyways. And this is something that Taylor Otwell, the uh, Laravel lead developer, said on Twitter a while ago. He was like, yeah, I get PSR7, but I'm not sure I want to have to force my users into that kind of like user experience. Um, yeah. and, and, and really, you know, the, 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 only, the biggest part that's exciting about PSR7 is middleware and being able to have like things happen before you know you request and after you response and share these middleware classes across frameworks and you can still do that because we have that little bridge thing so you can still you know use middleware and then change it into a symphony request and then you know back to a psr7 response on the other side yeah so that's that's a long way of saying no uh but we don't have to because we have it already um via that like bridge library that converts between the two that library is not totally perfect yeah there's a couple edge cases i think with uh like kind of file uploads and stuff um but that will be the way to handle it yeah so i i want i wanted to touch upon something that you were saying um because i mean this is this is breaking it would break backwards compatibility hugely as would sure. fixing the um that was the environment parameters um um will we ever see a version of symphony or i mean will we see a, a version of symphony breaking backwards compatibility ever again. I don't think so. Um, and, and the reason is because of obviously like the symphony users, like our projects, but even more than that, um, you know, forget us. We're not that important. Um, the people, the groups that are much bigger than us, like Drupal and, uh, you know, PHPBB and easy publish. Um, yeah. You know, if we went from symphony three to symphony four and we broke backwards compatibility and we made it perfect, nobody would use it. Because Drupal would say, oh, I guess I guess we'll stay in Symphony 3 forever because there's no way in heck we can break back its compatibility to go up to the next version. Yeah. So Doesn't you know, this mean, though, that Symphony is doomed in the long run? Yeah, so there's a, a great... It's turning into WordPress. For, at, 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 yeah, <laughs> there's a great thing at, at SymphonyCon, um, a talk that will be given um, there by Nicholas Grekis, and I saw it at Symphony Live. And this is the reason, and he kind of highlights why it won't be like WordPress. Because, of course, the fact that we have built ourselves on, tops of, on top of like classes and interfaces and, and object-oriented code means that we have set ourselves up for success when it comes to changing code without breaking things. So it's a really cool talk, but the long and short of it is I did none of the work, but there were a few developers like Nicholas and Fabian who spent like hundreds and hundreds of hours um, working on the deprecation notices and things like that. And the long and short of it is that we can break backwards compatibility, um, but now we can just do it, well, let me put it this way. When we do break backwards compatibility, like from 2.8 to 3, um, it's just done in a really smooth way. Yeah. And so we as developers can continue to like uh, iterate. We just have to worry about deprecating features as we do that. But with all these really cool automated tools, if I'm making a pull request to Symfony and I deprecate something, you know, it tests my change against every version of symphony and basically make sure everything still works so there's a lot of machinery there to allow us to continue to innovate and routinely get rid of all that old stuff yeah that being said there will always be edge cases like we can't make the request go from mutable to immutable no so sorry but hopefully that's not the end of the world i'd, I'd rather it be mutable anyways no that's true but i mean it, it, it there will probably come a time it's probably going to be very far in the future when enough enough of a a set of these issues where we can't we can't break that backwards compatibility we can't really we can't m move to psr7 fully uh, we can't uh, handle uh, handle environment parameters as well as we would like um, there's probably going to be i mean look at, in another 10 years there's probably going to be a, a, a list of these issues which we can't fix because they would break backwards compatibility and um, if we can't fix them, that means someone else is going to. And uh, that that's yeah, a no, threat totally to right. Symphony. Yeah, it is. A, yeah, it is a threat. It, it is a threat to Symphony. Oh, this is a great way to, by the way, to close out this podcast, right? You know, is Symphony, <laughs> yeah. Symphony keeping up. And then we talk about, you know, kind of lagging behind because of backwards compatibility. Well, here's what we have on our side. It, you know, if, if you love Symphony, which I do, you know, I've been around it for a lot of those 10 years. Um, if somebody else breaks, if somebody else comes up with a better solution for something, um, 
they are also in a sense breaking backwards compatibility. Um, you know, users from Symphony aren't going to switch over to that brand new thing like sure. all overnight because it's has a new interface. So they kind of have that same problem as Symphony would. So what Symphony needs to do is be able to keep its pace of um, innovation fast. Yeah. And in some ways, and I think this is kind of what I would think to your point, Magnus. In some ways, if we don't break back, break backwards compatibility, we might still come out with new components. So you know. Fast forward to we all find out that request response have to be immutable for some reason, then we're going to have a new request and response class, or we're going to have a new component, and then we're going to you know deprecate the old one, and that's going to be no fun for your project because you're actually going to need to actually change all of your requests and response to the new one. Uh, but we'll actually give you you know a couple versions to do that. So uh, you know, I'm trying to take a really, really cheery outlook on it. We're we're gonna try to have our cake and eat it too. Keep backwards compatibility, um, and but yeah, we have to keep innovating. And th and that was uh, I think it was Fabian's point at his keynote in uh, Symphony Live. He's like, look, you know, so much has changed in the past ten years. If we don't keep innovating really, really quickly, um, then then we're not gonna be in good shape. And how do you innovate quickly when you have all this legacy stuff? Yeah, that's um, an, ex an exciting way to to, to close this episode i think yeah it was a good summary yes this episode of sound of symphony is coming to an end the show is produced by magnus nordlander tobias nyholm ryan weaver and jared farish visit our website soundofsymphony.com and don't forget to subscribe on the podcast on itunes and thank you to our sponsors fervo happier and camp university fervo is a symphony consulting business happier develops a platform for fair recruitment and Camp University provides symphony and PHP tutorials. Our music, Cool Intro and Cool Vibes, is provided by Kevin MacLeod at Incompetech.com. It's licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution license. Thank you, Kevin. And Symphony is a registered trademark of Fabian Potencier in the European Union and other countries. This podcast is not endorsed or sponsored by nor affiliated with Fabian Potencier. We're back next month with more Sound of Symphony.